Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Good morning, Lisa. How are you today? Good morning, Katie. What episode is this? <laughs> this is, oh wait, ha, 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 the nerves, the nerves. This is season two, episode nine. You got it. See, sometimes, sometimes I even surprise you in the best possible way. What's new? Uh, what's new? We are podcasting live today for the live first time since September. Is that when it was? Yes, because October, you were out. When did we start podcasting? August? August. So you're right then. It was September. I'm always right, Katie. You are. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. We're recording this in what month? <laughs> End of April. <laughs> so it's been a while. It's been a while. and But we did a good job, I think, finding alternate ways to do our podcast. I agree completely. I was very satisfied. It was opportunity for learning. And isn't that what it's all about? Absolutely. And I think moving forward, there might be times that we are going to go back to Zoom. And here's the key. Thanks to dear Andy Bernard, who came over and gave me a whole lot of education on podcast equipment and all of that, because I got it all, got it set up, and then boom, we stopped being in person. And so then we pivoted, which was great and did a lot of things through Zoom. So now coming back together and I had all this podcast equipment and I'm thinking, now how did I use it all? <laughs> so he came over and helped me. But here's the beautiful thing. We can actually have a guest on Zoom while we're sitting in the studio and make that all work as well. So if we have a guest who's out of town or away from us or can't be with us, we can still do it exactly like we did it before. Oh, this is the first time I'm hearing about yes, this. So you and, and I can here. be live and our guests can be on Zoom. Yes. That's I know there's probably people out there that are going, well, of course. I mean, <laughs> they've probably known that. But this is all, as we learn and, and do this, it's been fun. Now, someone asked you about us, didn't they? They did. And ever since I told a friend of mine, I haven't stopped laughing on a you know, little parts of my day. Yes. And you called me immediately. I called you immediately because I was laughing very hard. And so I was walking with a girlfriend, a lifetime friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a very long time. And we were walking and catching up. And she's like, Lisa, I just love listening to all the podcasts. I think I'm almost caught up. She goes, tell me a little bit about Katie. What is Katie like when you're around her, not just doing the podcast? And I paused and I thought, and all of a sudden this vision came in my head <laughs> and I just said it. And I said, you know, Katie is like the Labrador. She is a Labrador. When someone comes out, like when you come over to someone's house and they have a Labrador, they're wagging their tail. They want to meet you right away. They have no judgment. They always have a smile and they just want to get to know you and be by you the whole time. I am more like the standard poodle. <laughs> and how that came to me, I have no idea, because keep in mind, Katie is six feet tall, or almost six feet tall. I'm 5'4", so I'm really not a standard poodle, but my personality is more like a standard poodle, because I will walk into a room 
with my head up high and I will observe everybody in the room and I will make the decision who I want to focus on and who I'm comfortable talking to and that's who I will go to. I said, and that is Katie and that's me. And she just burst into laughter because she knows me. It's such a good descriptor. It really is. I am a Labrador. I'm going to embrace that, Lisa, and, and I just... <laughs> I'm not even sure where to go with that, but I think it's one. I don't, I don't disagree. But that's what makes you and I such a good team. I think so, too, and I love it. And sometimes you really, like, roll your eyes at me because <laughs> I am that standard poodle. But sometimes you are the Labrador. Well, and, 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 and I don't understand it. And just like Labradors are always accepting of all people and pups and most animals. Yeah, it's not that I'm not accepting. It's just that I want to make sure that I'm comfortable who I'm talking to. Yeah, I think it has to do, we've talked about this before, the I am the extrovert, you are the introvert. We have a lot of the yin and yang going and it works really well. And it's been the greatest joy to do this for the past, geez, are we six months more than that? <laughs> nine if months. You go to toes. We're in trouble because you got cute shoes on. Nine months. Can you believe it? Nine months. Nine months. It, here's a factoid that I just realized: is that it was exactly one year ago this week that I called you and said I think we should do a podcast. Wow. Because how do I know that, Katie? Yeah. How do you know that? Because I have it written down. Do you journal? I don't journal, do but I, I have notes and I have in my calendar and in my calendar, it says going to meet Katie to talk about podcast. So you look and back. And actually it might've been, a, it might've been on a, the same day that That's we're recording. fascinating. And it's interesting to know, it kind of goes to our, our whole discussion on how we do things and how we organize our day and how we get started. So does your day begin with looking back on or looking at notes or how does that pop up? Yes, I do look at a lot of notes I take, and I just remember it was this time of year, the leaves were just starting to come out, spring was kind of springing along, but yet we were in this very serious pandemic, and I remember thinking, can I go to her house, we can sit outside, it was kind of a windy day, and we sat very far apart, I mean, we were like 10 feet apart. On the deck. And we sat for three hours, and we said, yeah, we're going to do this. And here we are. And here we are. Here we are, full blown into spring. People are starting to emerge, I think, mentally from COVID and looking forward to what their next steps are. They're opening their closet doors. I saw a pretty right on New Yorker comic strip. I don't even know where I saw it, but it was shot over the shoulder of someone sitting with their closet doors open. And the caption is something like, welcome, old friend, good to see you. (laughs) And that's perfect. I have been getting so many, actually, phone calls and text messages. People are definitely getting reintroduced to their closet. And a majority of my clients who have contacted me are really not too excited about what they're seeing in their closet. But I try to explain to them that... You just need to get reacquainted. You need to start putting the clothes on. You're just not used to it. And a lot of people are very concerned because they've gained weight over COVID. 
Or lost weight. Or lost weight. But even people that have lost weight still think they've gained weight. I mean, we all, as women... You just don't feel good. You just don't feel good. wearing masks. You take it off. You're noticing the part of your face. You really haven't been looking to all that often. And I think you've been in a survival mode. Even if you're doing good work, you're in a survival mode. You're looking around your house now going, okay, what needs to change? I've just come through this. How do I need to organize things? I got to get at some drawers and closets that haven't been touched for the entire season of COVID. And so I think that's a good point. And I love what you say is you're not going to throw the whole wardrobe out and start over. No, I mean, that's unrealistic, but you are going to walk back in and start systematically going through it and seeing what you've got and what to do about it. And I, and I have a process. I just talked to somebody on the phone yesterday who called me who is going to be a potential new client. And I have a process for people to go through so they can work that out. And one of the things that I do tell them is that I want you to remove 2020 starting in March. So that was, you basically were wearing your winter clothes till COVID hit. Now you didn't wear any spring and summer last year, but whatever you wore in your backyard, right? So forget about last year and go back to 2019 spring and summer and now evaluate your closet. And if you have gained more than 10 pounds, that's a discussion. But if you've gained up to 10 pounds, the likelihood of you losing at least five is pretty good. Once you're starting to get out, get moving, having a different lifestyle, back to the office possibly. And so five pounds just is not that big of a deal in your clothes. That makes sense. I think most of us have that float, right? All women do. Yeah. All women do. Right. Which is also comforting to know that all women do. Yes. I mean, (laughs) when I talk to anybody and I talk about their clothes and their clothes and they're like, oh, that doesn't fit me. I go, what doesn't fit you? Is it five pounds? Is it 10 pounds or is it 15 pounds? I need to know that because five pounds to me means nothing. And I think we're hardest on ourselves. Absolutely. So having someone help you evaluate really makes a lot of sense in in all areas. Well, for being back in quote unquote studio, my little pantry slash podcast studio, which it, it just works gives out me great. Really well. Yeah, it works. We have Jane Haugen Olson with us from Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, and if anybody can give us some thoughts on views in her own mirror and what she's seeing from a collective and somebody who's pretty dialed into the scene in the Twin Cities and beyond. I think it's going to be Jane. I'm super excited, happy that she has agreed to come on. And as she said, I think the energy is going to be better if we can get back together. So we want to welcome Jane Haugen Olson. We are so excited to have you. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Started in a pandemic, produced now in a pantry. I mean, what? Oh, I love that. I love that. Can you do the, we should call it the pantry podcast from this point forward. Instead of the view in your mirror. I like the view in your mirror. It's so much better. I like the view in your mirror. Speaking of the view in your mirror, when you get up in the morning and you start your day, what do you see? What are the possibilities? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's so different now. Um, I think about how I went to an office every day, the same office since 1993. And I have some friends who get up in the morning and you do their same routine that they did even when they went downtown. And I don't, what do I see? 
I do see possibilities every day. I mean, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but um, one of my mentors said to me, Jane, your strength is your weakness and you see an opportunity in everything and you need to figure out which are the opportunities worth pursuing. So I guess a big part of my day every day is determining which things I should pursue, which are the things that are worth my time, my team's time, um, resource time. So... That's a skill in and of itself. It is. I, I think it, and I think it, and I think it's a learned, you know, at 57 now I've uh, trial and error, successes and failures and so that's helped me determine uh, what to pursue. Do you do all your work from home or are you starting to venture into your office? We have something called we've called the office base camp now and you use it as the need, whether it's photo shoots or if there is some collaborative time. Um, I'm still primarily at home. My husband's office is downtown Minneapolis and we took a little space next to his and we created a family pod for my high school daughters and I and the dogs so that when school started last fall, we weren't just sitting in the house all day long, especially when winter came. So we were going down to the warehouse district and we still do. We take the dogs out for walks. We go to Pizza Luce. We walk to Whole Foods. And, and so I've been doing some of my work there too. So I've been learning to live like a college student out of a backpack, depending on where I'm going to be that day. Well, you're getting very efficient then with what you're carrying around. I am. And I've always been a paper person and a piles person and my stuff around me. And I've had to learn to rely more on digital and my phones. And so I've got my desktop computer, I have my laptop computer, I have my iPad, I have my iPhone. And just depending on where I am, what tools I'm using. I think that's fascinating because when you, you were a piles person, mm-hmm. do you find that your creativity has diminished? diminished not being a piles person as much anymore? Or is it just a different learned process? I think my piles were a weird sense of security that Mm. there were gold in them, their hills, everything (laughs) was an idea. And, and so what I've learned over time that the ideas continue to come and I rarely needed to go into those piles to get ideas, but I'm a very, really visual person. And so there are times that all of a sudden an idea would come up and I'm like, God, I know that Baltimore magazine did something like that or Chicago magazine. And I know I've got it in my pile somewhere. I can see it. And so it becomes this kind of security blanket, but now I've found most of that stuff is all online. I can just go to their website and I can download the digital issue of that magazine. I don't need to keep the piles. Yeah, it's a little liberating. Yeah, it Were is. Were you a post-it note person? Like for me... Oh, I have post-its. Or, yeah. I, I take notes on everything and I have them in all different places and I still do that. Yep. Do you still do yeah, that? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I just I need that little that visual. visual. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you'll write a note, a post-it and then you'll be like, where is it? And then you write another post-it or are you good about Katie, keeping your... Pop- all my post-its are in a spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine, mine pretty much are too. Okay, mom. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so are mine, of course. Of yes. course, so are mine. <laughs> so now, if somebody met you on the street, what would you tell them you did? Uh, the editor-in-chief of Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine, and I also am the senior vice president of Owned Media, and what that means is 
our company owned by Vance Opperman, who went to Ramsey. Yes. We'll talk about that later. That's right. Um, <laughs> we have an agency side, which is work for hire, digital work primarily for clients. And then two magazines that the company owns, Twin Cities Business Magazine and Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. And so we did a reorg two and a half, three years ago. I used to be involved with the content across the whole operation. And we divided things up. And now I just oversee all the teams of those two publications and even the revenue producers, the publishers report to me too. And that's a a kind of a different change than where publishing was 20 years ago, where the revenue people were always driving everything. But in our company, we wanted content to drive strategies. And I'm obviously very conscientious of we need to pay the bills. So we need to create a publication that advertisers want to be in. But ultimately, if we don't have readers, we don't have a magazine, we don't have a product to sell if we don't have an audience. And so really, you engage audience with great content, great storytelling. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And what have you seen with content in the past? Well, through COVID? You know, what's, uh, what's interesting about COVID, it is simultaneously around us. So in our face at the same time that we are addressing systemic racism in our country. And so you have these dual things that are are pulling at us as storytellers about what's on the minds of our audiences. And we made a real conscious effort, I mean, 10 years ago, but even more certainly five years ago to uh, have a lot more diversity on the pages of our magazine. And it's, it's no secret, Minnesota is a very white state. And so a lot of our readers are primarily Caucasian. All of our staff is Caucasian. And we knew we needed to be more reflective of the community as a whole. And so finding those stories of people of color, great work that's being done, whether it's in retail and restaurants and home, but in the community, um, in poetry and art and music, you know, just creating more of a tapestry of what the Twin Cities really is, the two cities specifically. And so that has, we've, we've really hyper-focused even more on that in the last year since uh, May 25th. And then with COVID, I guess as an editor, I always think about where the minds of my reader. And I know like our June issue goes to press the first week in May. And I think, where's my reader's head going to be at late May? And I say her, because primarily our readers, our subscribers are women. It's like, what, what's on her mind? What does she need to hear from us? What leadership, what guidance, where, what, what resonance do we need to have when we hit her mailbox at the end of May? And so we think about that. What's she juggling with her family? Or if she's sandwich generation with her aging parents and her kids, kids and grappling with what's going on in the community and what that reflects on with Minneapolis and our sense of pride. You know, I think this has been a hard time for us of what's been going on. And so that's, I I don't know what your original question was, but that's what, yeah. It's phenomenal. And I think too, the other thing when you go back to it is also, how do you entertain as well? Right, 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 right. So because there is a balance and we know we're sitting here, three women, we know what it's like to juggle all those yep. different pieces, yep. careers, yep. families, right. whatever else we're working on in our lives outside of that. 
it's so critically important to focus on all of it. And I right. can only imagine how you funnel that all down right. to how many pages in an episode? In a um, 60. Yeah. You know, 60 per month. But it, it's all of that. It's, you know, how are we living now? How are we dressing? How are we entertaining? How are we using our time? Uh, what do we want to support? What do we care about? And I think that our readers are pretty networked. They're influencers in their own sectors. Sometimes I think, sometimes our magazine is cocktail party fodder. They want to be able to know that Gavin Kaysen's going to be opening at the Four Seasons. And, you know, they want to be able to be part of the conversation. And so being able to give our readers enough of that, those little breadcrumbs to keep them connected to the city. Because I think if, you, if you're subscribing to Minneapolis-St. Paul, you're wanting to stay connected to the city. There's a purpose. I mean, I got, we got a letter yesterday from uh, a prominent resort owner in Northern Minnesota and they had been um, wintering in Tucson and they just got back and our May issue was in the mailbox and they read my editor's note and complimented our role representing Minnesota because she said we were walking around our community in Tucson the day after the verdict and when I introduced myself to this new neighbor and they said, where are you from? and I'm from Minnesota. And the questions started, what's been going on in Minnesota? And and so she was appreciative that we understand that, that we understand what we're all kind of grappling with right now. And so, I, I, you know, I, I think if you think about WCCO used to call themselves the good neighbor on the radio, I, I we kind of like to think of ourselves as that good neighbor who maybe will tell you a great doctor or a dentist or a really cute blouse to wear, but also tell you about, you know, some of the important topics going on that we think you care about. And we cannot live with the news cycle alone. Right, right. We need more than that. Yep. And we, that, well, we need to, we and need to celebrate. We need to celebrate independent retail. We need to, need to celebrate design. We need to celebrate architecture. We need to celebrate museums. We because all of that commerce also. If you don't have independent retail and restaurants and home building, you don't have a thriving city. So you need to have all of that going on so that taxes are being paid and that people can make donations to nonprofits and you, it's an ecosystem. And and it all needs to be functioning. Beautifully wrapped into a, a bowl. phenomenal. <laughs> that was a beautifully wrapped into a bowl. Exactly. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a break because we have, well, I have some Rustica cookies we can mm. all take a little munch on while we're saying thanks to our sponsor, Rustica Bakery. And then when we come back, I want to get specifically into how you put yourself together and go out into the world and do the business you do. And also I want to talk a little bit about the fact that your house was an ASID house so was. several years ago, and how does that still function in today's yeah. day and age? Then we're going to talk about a nonprofit that you've brought. Tell us quickly what that is. Northside Achievement Zone, NAS, a lot of people know it as NAS, N-A-Z, and they are in North Minneapolis, and um, really looking at, before we all started talking about systemic racism, systemic change in families and in kids to keep them engaged to graduate from high school. Wonderful. We will be right back with more. On the Viewing Your Mirror podcast, we love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list, and we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center, next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking. Either online or in-store, 
bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the take and bake cookies available online or in-store. Truly a capstone for any get-together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate, a memory to make. We highly suggest you always have these in your freezer. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. And we are back with Jane Haugen Olson, Editor-in-Chief of Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine and beyond. <laughs> but we don't want to take up all the time no, talking no. about the title. I have to give Jane a little bit of a hard time. We're both from Roseville and... When I asked Jane what high school, she said... Kellogg. And I, of course, am Ramsey. Yep. And neither are in existence anymore. They both function under Roseville Area High School. Yep. In the Ramsey building. Yep. And then Kellogg is the middle school. But I think that a lot of good things came out of Roseville, Jane, not just you and I. Oh, I do too. You know, I think Roseville... We were all in our little bubbles back then, right? But Roseville always was seen as having a really good school system and great sports. And I think it had a really interesting mix of, you know, I was on the east side of Roseville. So we were kind of the bad boys over, you know, we, I'd, I'd laugh because our letter... You were the Rice Street. Uh, yes, Rice Street exactly. Yep. In Little Canada. <laughs> yes, and yes. our letter jackets at Kellogg, the guys were black and black leather sleeves. Yes. And Ray Ramsey was blue with white sleeves. So they were a little more preppy. And, you know, our guys were the, <laughs> re the, rebels, guys. the rebels, the wrestlers and the hockey players. And the, yes. yeah, yes. Uh, you know, we had you know, little Canada was the Vitalis and the Gambinos. And it was like a little, little, little mafia, little, <laughs> That's right, a little, little Italy over there. Yeah. And but a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot, lot of fun. fun. I mean, the Hog's Breath Bar. Yeah, and, oh, we yeah. could go on and on and on. I've been there. The Hog's Breath Bar? Mm -hmm. There you go. Now, there Back you go. Back in the day. Well, that's something we all have in common. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, when they built the McDonald's off of Rice Street, to me, that's when all the fun ended between Ramsey and Kellogg because the original McDonald's on Snelling Avenue. Right, right. And after the hockey games, which were legendary, and I grew up right by the ice arena, we would go to the McDonald's, yep. and you'd watch the fights break out, essentially, between Ramsey and Kellogg. But, you know, we had Richard Dean Anderson yes, and Lonnie yeah. Anderson, and you mentioned um, Vance, Vance Opperman. Opperman and you also had uh, Peter Krause. I was, yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So a lot of good things came out of Roseville. Yeah. Lisa. All the celebrities came out of Ramsey. That east side of that east side of town. That east side of town. Yes. Roseville yes. also was the very first Target. Yes. No, and the Target very one. and the very first Best Buy. And they were really? across the yes. street from each other. Yes. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And was that McDonald's in Roseville the first to be built in Roseville or in Minnesota also? I I'm ninety nine percent sure, yes. I think so too. Yeah. It's yeah. very when you look at the location of it, what I always said was it was to get to St. Paul or to get to right. Minneapolis. Right. It really was. I was trying so hard to get my kids to move into Roseville when they were mm -hmm. becoming adults and buying houses and all of that. Cause I said it's just it's it's phenomenal. And still to this day, Rosedale yeah. is one of the top malls. Yeah, I, I do know that. 
I do know that. Yeah, it's very well done. I've gone very out well there done. a few times with clients that prefer Rosedale. You can get a lot done in a short amount of time. Yes. It's set up very well. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I worked in that mall for years. I did too. Did you? Where did you work? J.C. Penny. Okay. And Seven years. Dayton's and then Fifth Street Bootery. Oh my gosh. I probably sold you shoes. I know the Fifth <laughs> I remember the Fifth Street Bootery. The last time started with a Z, right? Mm-hmm. Dexter and Tony Zeiton. Yep. Yes, they're still doing very well and uh, still very active. And then there was an I. Miller clothing store. I mm-hmm. sold suits there. And there was a tall girl, Shelly Tall Girl. Yep, I remember Shelly. I worked I, there. Of course you did, because you're tall. Of course. And none <laughs> I'm of the clothes fit me. None of the clothes fit me there, though, because I'm so short-waisted that all of the rises in the pants were so tall that... They would come up under it. They just never fit. They were too tall. I thought, how does this happen? They're too tall. <laughs> anyway, speaking of, you know, from, from those, I feel like that's where I got my sense of fashion back then. You have a really lovely sense of fashion. I feel like you are a master at blending things. You know, that is the compliment I get the most from friends and colleagues. And um, I do have a little secret when so I have a journalism degree, but I wanted to be an advertising copywriter, and I went to St. Thomas, and so I started out more on the marketing advertising side when I was in my twenties, and I came to Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine as the director of sales development because we had two computers in those days, and I wrote all the sales reps' proposals, oh. and so I did the research, the reporter in me. I did the, like, who are you meeting with? You're meeting with Galleria. Okay, I'll go do the research and I'll do a proposal for you. And I ended up leaving, going to another publishing company in town for about a year, realized I wanted to come back to MSP Communications, but I wanted to come back on the editorial side. And they had a contract position. This was like 1999, 2000. They had a contract position for the homes editor. And I said, I don't want to be the homes editor. I I want to be the lifestyle editor because I just hung on every word of Martha Stewart. And she wasn't just about home. She was about living. And so I became the lifestyle editor, but home was my category. I mean, that I did all the home editorial in the magazine. And so when you do a lot of photo shoots and you think about interior design and you're pulling together rugs and pillows and wallpapers and you think about what has to blend to create a beautiful room, well, that's how I dress. I think I don't, my influences come from home design more than fashion design. And so you think about the mixing and matching that can happen in home. That's how I approach my wardrobe with textures and patterns. And and that's very interesting that you say that when you say you have a secret, because as I'm listening to you, that is how I operate when I'm selecting things for clients. Yeah. That's, I've never looked at it that way. Yeah. But when you were describing that, that made complete sense to me. Yeah. Do you see that as a common trait that people have? No, I think it's hard. I think it, I mean, just like, that's why it's hard to decorate your house by yourself too. And you know what what do you what do you know about the best houses they're collected they have a life they have a story there's the travels and that's a good wardrobe should be the same way um and you shouldn't necessarily throw pieces out just like you don't throw certain things out in your house and you may move them around you may put it on a shelf and tuck it away for a year or two and then you take it back out again and so i think a wardrobe is like that and i think that's why lisa has a career because that's exactly how i operate 
Mm-hmm. She can and that's why I've been that. doing this for 35 plus years because I think exactly like that. Yep. When I'm looking at other people's wardrobes and myself, yep. I call it like, vin- do you have vintage clothing? Right. You know, don't throw that out. No, and I think vintage is interesting because I think some people are nervous of vintage because you know people that are so vintage or like head to toe vintage. And it's like, that's a different kind of yeah, person. Right. But I was at Via's recently on Hennepin and I follow her on Instagram and there was a dress that she posted. And I thought, I'm going to go try that dress on. So I brought my daughter with me and I ended up buying two dresses and we get in the car and I said to my daughter and she was like blown away. She thought it was the most beautiful store she'd ever been in. And she wanted to go back with her friends. And I said, you know, Lilia, I didn't really need those two dresses, but I need Vias to stay in business. And so me going and buying a $50 dress and a $60 dress that I'm it's sundresses that I'll wear a couple of times this summer and they're cute and they're one of a kind. I don't want to read an article six months from now that Vias went out of business and then I kick myself for never going there. And so, but I, I think vintage if I wear those dresses with vintage shoes and a vintage hat and a vintage purse, I feel like a caricature for me. Right. Um, I don't feel that way when I look at other cute women who can pull that off. It's just not me. I like mixing it in. Um, but I always have vintage in my wardrobe. I mean, always. My, my daughters were teasing me because I had this real grandma sweater on one day that was vintage and I had it over an electric fetus t-shirt. <laughs> and they said, you know, mom, you know how a rock vintage and um, high compliments. Yes, right, there right from, from a teenager. Right, 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 yes. right. <laughs> so I think you got to figure out how to fit it in. What a beautiful lesson for your girls, though, in staying local, buying local, focusing on those things, looking at it as a bigger, bigger than just buying something. Well, and my. In the late 80s, I was the marketing director at Calhoun Square when there was 100 stores in that mall. Remember in the day oh, when there was absolutely. Baccio and Demetrius and Fawbushes and all those independent businesses? That independent spirit is just so in me, which is what why I love doing what I do with the magazine. Um, is just helping amplify their visibility. And and to me, shopping local also means going to Nordstrom at Ridgedale versus buying it online. Because I went to Mall of America with uh, my daughter wanted something last fall. And the only place I can get stuff for teens is Mall of America. And we went to Nordstrom and she bought a couple of shirts and the woman said, thank you for coming in. This was like August, you know, people were just starting to go shopping. And I said, you know, we wanted to come here and support you and physically come here because I know that means you have a job. And she started crying. Oh, goodness. You know, so I was at Nordstrom, but she gets a paycheck because we come and shop at brick and mortar, right? Yeah. Yeah. I am... Before COVID, I was all about brick and mortar. I didn't do a lot online for clients. You know, there's some things that it's easier. And then when COVID hit, it was a lot more difficult. But what I ended up doing for a lot of these independent stores, I I pivoted and I was like, okay, here's the deal. If you're willing to do like surprise consignment boxes, I will FaceTime with you. We will pick things out. You will send it to their house. We will do a virtual appointment. What they want, you can charge. Yep. And what they don't want goes right back to your store. And there were several stores that were like, 
Absolutely. And there were some that didn't quite understand it. And I am doing a lot of business out of those with those stores now. Yeah, you know, I, I think we are going to see long standing changes in how businesses are doing business, you know, virtual medicine, what we'll do with and I think people will do a lot more takeout than we ever did yes. before. Yes, because they've done such a good they've job such a with great takeout. Job, completely. Mm-hmm. And you're still giving business exactly. to the restaurant. Right. But you don't have to put your lipstick on. You still wear a ponytail and go get the barbecue and bring it home and, you know, go on your back patio. Yeah. yeah. We're using our homes more. Yeah. Truly, because of things like that. And and I think, I think that's the key to COVID. And everyone that we've had on that we've talked to through COVID, of course, has had the trials and tribulations of mm-hmm. COVID in mm-hmm. the end have found ways to make it a positive experience as best they can for their businesses. Stephanie March's article about how that whole industry has changed, I thought was just brilliant. Really, really well done. Let's talk about using our houses a little bit more. So you had the ASID house. Now it's been about, what, seven, eight years, I think, think since that happened. And for those listening, that is is each room essentially is a different designer, right? Well, what was funny about that year is we had a house that we were going to do with the company with with Minneapolis Saint, and it fell through. And my husband and I were about to start a kitchen remodel, and they said, "Jane, will you be the show house?" And I'm like, "I know enough about that project that no, I do not want to be the show house." <laughs> and it's my husband, my husband was like, "No way!" And I was working with an interior designer at the time, and she said, "Jane, don't do it. It's going to move way too fast. You're going to have to make decisions way too fast." And I allowed myself to get talked into it, and it cost us three times more than we ever anticipated it would because the homeowners do not get a free lunch on that by any stretch. But yes, there's a core steering committee, and then each room is a different interior design firm. And I think doing what I do as a magazine maker, my husband was kind of blown away as he watched each team come through and lay out their mood boards. And I'm really good at telling creatives when I don't like something without insulting them, because that's what I have to do. (laughs) Um, And it was really interesting, but they were really good. All the firms and the steering committee were great about, I had already started Pinterest boards prior to the showcase house, because I was planning just to decorate my house. Right. So I had a Pinterest board for every room of my house. And so they already had something to kind of look at, like, oh, this is what they're trying to do in that room, or this is what their mood is for that room. And then they brought their own interpretation of it. And, you know, some things that I really wanted, like there was a wallpaper I really wanted in my dining room. And I kind of said to them, this is the wallpaper I want you to do. And they didn't choose that wallpaper. And I'm really glad that the one that they recommended because the one they recommended has staying power. And I think the one that I wanted at the time was a little of the moment. I think it still had staying power, but not like the one that they recommended. And so there was some things that they pushed me out of my own comfort zone in the kitchen. I wanted an all white kitchen. I wanted an all white kitchen. And um, the designer uh, talked me into mixing in some black and I was really glad she did. I really love the kitchen and I, I wouldn't have done that without her pushing me out of my comfort zone. And you're, I feel like your home, eclectic would be a good yep, word yep. to use on your yep, home, but yep. very elegant. And you haven't seen it with me in it now. Because no. that, that's the thing with the show house. A lo- there was a lot of pieces that were there on loan just for the tour. And so now we have come back in. And um, now it looks more like the Olsen family. And but it is. How does it function 
as a space for you? Well, Anything surprising there? The the word that I will use about our house, I call it like a Paris apartment. Like if you think about the books on the Paris apartment, it, it is a, it is very eclectic and it looks a little lived in and the velvets are a little, you know. Our house was built in 39 and there's been times that I wish I had a more open floor plan. But in this last year with two dogs, when my husband was working at home, I was working at home, the girls at home, these individual rooms with pocket doors and French doors and uh, individual spaces that we could close off have been godsend to be able to just, because my, my husband's always got a concrete guy coming or somebody and the dogs are barking and I can be where I am with the French and it's a solid house, right? right. It's built in 39. So it's it's got really good bones and the doors are all solid wood. And so um, it did get us through this last year. And we have a swimming pool, which really was a, was important last summer. Yes. Um, we have a pool house that we ended up hanging one of our big TVs that just was in a storage area. And we made more of an outdoor theater for the family outside. And so we've we learned to use our house to its fullest. I think that's if that's one of the pluses that yeah. came out of COVID, I think that is it. But I think we're also seeing people now saying about their house, wait a minute, we do need spaces so yeah. that we can each get away. I felt so badly for people who all of a sudden are having to homeschool their kids oh and find a spot for each of them. Right. And I know how I was as a kid and, you know, that movie Up where it's Squirrel and yeah. you're yeah. on to whatever else it is. So, wow, how we look at those spaces, I think you're going to see a lot of shifts in design yep truly from a space standpoint well what's interesting is when we did the house we never found a space for me my husband had a home office my daughters had their art room music room they each you know they had a playroom and i kept saying like where's my space like when i come home from work and i got my bag and i have my stack of magazines like where do i kind of plug in mm-hmm. and nobody ever found that. Mm -hmm. And so when the pandemic hit, I realized I didn't have a space in this house. Everybody, isn't that typical mom? You know, mom is not the one who's very typical, you know, everybody's taken care of, but where's mom's space, her closet. (laughs) And so thankfully there was a game table in the basement that at the time I'm like, what do I need that game table in the basement? But we ended up buying the furniture from the designer because I'm like, well, I don't know what else to put in that space when everything leaves. I guess I'll buy that. And it became a place that we did do some games or like when the girls would have slumber parties, that's where I put the food out or when they had all their friends over to watch Megan and Harry get married. That was the, you know, (laughs) the place where I put everything, the gift wrapping table at Christmas. Oh, that's where I set up my shop. And so that's my home base now is in at that game table. And it is off of our TV room. And so I did find like with the trial and everything going on, I'd have CNN on on one end of the room and I'm working over here. And so it has worked for me and it's off the laundry room. So I'm multitasking as moms (laughs) do. But I had to kind of figure out where my space was going to be because it wasn't it wasn't automatic. It hadn't been created. But right. And you didn't want to pick up and move every time you wanted to. No, no. Other than to 
to now go to the office. Right. So right. do you think, let's say a year from now, do you think you'll keep your space and you'll maybe do a hybrid or do you think you'll see yourself more at the office? Well, you know what we're going to do, it's a crazy story. And the short version is we were homeless as a company when COVID hit because uh, our landlords had told us they, that our lease was up August of 2020 and they were not wanting to be in the landlord business anymore. U.S. Bank Plaza wanted to convert all of their floors to U.S. Bank employees. And so we were literally days from the lease being signed on 30,000 square feet downtown. And March 13th, when we realized we were all going home indefinitely, we just said, well, let's just put that lease on hold for a little bit. And so we still had to move. And so we are subleasing in North Loop right now. And the Oppermans just bought a building um, near the University of Minnesota, near Hubbard. And so we are moving there in November. But nobody's going to have an office. I mean, I had an office for 25 years. I will not have a Jane office there. So we will be coming and going more like a WeWork kind of place. And so Mm. my analogy is I'll be like professor's hours. Like Jane will be in every Tuesday or every Friday morning. And if those are times we're going to have these kind of meetings, but we're going to function differently as a company and we'll see how that feels. I mean, we just happen to be in that situation that we didn't have an office. I've, I've heard from several companies that are doing similar things. Our daughter works for Boston Scientific. They were in the process of looking at expansion and they had space planners come in and now with the new way of working. Right. So many companies that are realizing, yes, you your employees can work off-site and still be effective. Right. And some, you know, it's like everything. Some of us work better with a lot of noise and a lot going on, but I think everyone has learned how to work differently. Well, I am the queen of analogies. My analogy, I use a lot. A lot of people use sports metaphors. I use music metaphors a lot that we're like a band and that we each play our respective instrument and we come together. We create incredible music together. And so in my mind, our base camp is our studio. And the days that we're all going to come and jam together, but we're all going to go and practice our licks or our piano or our vocals in our own spaces, and then we come together, we will hit the road with the band, right? And so I think it's just about as leaders, we have to help create that collaborativeness that is important to the respective work that we all do. But I think, gosh, if I were a 30-something mom and I had school-age kids and that I could actually watch them get on the bus and then go do my work, maybe take a little walk with one of the neighbor ladies at lunch, go back, work, get the kids off the bus, maybe work again when they go to bed. I mean, that would have been amazing. Exactly. Now, we're going to pivot once more because we're going to talk about NAS. I first learned about NAS when I went to a Northside Achievement Zone luncheon five years ago at the depot. There was a thousand people there. I'm like, how do I not know about NAS? And there's been a lot of articles written that we have one of the biggest gaps of white children graduating from high school versus black kids graduating from high school. We have one of the biggest gaps in the country. And so it's looking at what, what contributes to that. And ultimately, some of it gets back to systems within the community that are supporting the family as a whole. Um, And it isn't just the responsibility of the schools and the teachers, but uh, of the community. So I first started learning about students being referred to as scholars. Now in Hopkins, where one of my daughters goes, they refer to the kids as scholars and not students. And so NAS has been uh, referring to their kids in these programs as scholars. And the idea 
idea is get these kids supported, get them through high school, help point them to where they're secondary, get them mentoring. And it's based on a very successful program in Harlem. And in Harlem, what they found is these kids then ended up coming back and contributing to their community. They became doctors, they became lawyers, they became healthcare workers, they became social workers, and they wanted to come back and support their community. And so you are bringing that generational and you're building community from within. And so Northside Achievement Zone is working with these programs and mentoring with families, um, programs specifically for dads, programs specifically for moms. And so they have a, a an office uh, up in North Minneapolis where there's computers there for families. That, I mean, I think a lot has changed now with COVID. I think the schools have had to help families with computers and things, but it, it's really a, a nonprofit that's specifically for the needs of that neighborhood. And their tagline is the Northside Achievement Zone exists to permanently close the achievement gap and end generational poverty in North Minneapolis. So northsideachievement.org. Yep. And I don't think you can live in the Twin Cities, be around the Twin Cities without feeling for what the North Side has gone through mm-hmm. for years right. and years and years and years. So it's good to know that this organization exists. Oh, and yep. we are so thankful you brought them to, to our, our awareness and yep. our attention. And I can't believe how fast time flies. We thank you <laughs> thank for you. Thank you. It was being fun. our first back in person. <laughs> Guest for our pantry podcast edition of The View in Your Mirror. How's that? That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You talked a little bit about mom space and creating it. I had to build I don't know how many homes to build my space. I'm very envious of this space. It's a fun space. Yeah, it's it's great. I can. This is a workhorse right here. I can tell. This is the workhorse. Mm -hmm. You got it. You got it. Well, thank you, Jane, so much for being with us. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you. you. Thank you. And to do this podcast with you. Thank you. I will listen to all of your podcast, not just mine. (laughs) Thank you. Lisa, we have, gosh, do you remember everything we're on on social media so that people can find us and tag us and join us and tweet us and do whatever? Whatever you're supposed to do. Uh, Let's see. We're on Facebook. We're on Pinterest. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram and also on LinkedIn. Yes, we are. The View in Your Mirror. The View in Your Mirror. We also have a website. Theviewinyourmirror.com. Yes. So if people want to listen to us, that's probably the fastest way to get there. Or I know people are so great at podcasts now that they find their favorite podcast platform and type in The View in Your Mirror and we come up. I hear every week from people saying, oh, I'm subscribing to you. I'm listening to you. I think I have one friend this week that reached out to you because she's been listening. So we always love those stories. We do. Uh, And I I just love the feedback. So if anybody has any feedback, positive, we can also handle negative feedback. Be gentle. Please, (laughs) please let us know because we also want to know some of the questions that you might want us to address. That's right. Once again, we want to thank Jane Haugen Olson with Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. I feel like that doesn't even do her justice. She's so much more than that. And for her introduction to Northside Achievement Zone, we want to thank you for listening. And we know that the view in your mirror will be exceptional because it's uniquely you. (laughs) 